0: And welcome to the Destiny Church podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. It is truly an honor to share this stage with incredible leaders that we have here at Destiny Church. And um, to see a leader like Chad who can hear from God and take a missions trip and completely change it, it's incredible to work under that kind of leadership. And I'm truly honored to be a part of your staff and to be here. So, Today, we're continuing, as Chad said, in our series called Kingdom Culture. And it's based on the teachings from Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7. And through each of these messages, we've looked at, really, how we take what Jesus taught, not only hear it, but to do it, to apply it in our lives so that we live out a kingdom culture lifestyle. In week one of the series, Pastor Steve, our youth pastor here in Republic, he taught, he kind of introd us in with the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And with that, though, he really dove into this idea of what it means to be poor in spirit. If you missed that, go back, check that out online. In week two, our Marshfield campus pastor, Pastor Mark, was here, and he talked to us about worry, about we are to not worry, and that our worry is really, it's a manifestation of our unbelief, a lack of faith in God's power in our lives. And then last week, Pastor Chad, of course, for Father's Day, he was talking to all of us really, but really to the men about being second mile men, going above and beyond in our friendships, in our families, and in our faith. This week, we're going to hit on an interesting topic, and to better kind of illustrate and give you a better picture we're going to talk about today, check out this video. Why by yourself? Can I help? No. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Why about yourself? (laughs) Why about yourself? (laughs) I'll do this one. So I'm gonna do that. You drive. (laughs) Why about yourself? Go drive. Oh, if you've got kids in the room, you know what that feels like. But the title of today's message is worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, as she says. So probably you're probably wondering what in the world does that video have to do with Jesus sermon on the Mount, but we'll make sense of it. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer to start with today. My calling in ministry specifically is in teaching and discipleship. So with that, what I want to do today is not just read some scripture and give you my interpretation of it. I'm going to show you how I got there. Just a little bit to give you some tools because how many of you know it can be frustrating when you go to read scripture and you're reading you're going, I don't have a clue what this says and you get frustrated and you struggle to understand the meaning. So what I want to do is help you with that today is give you some pointers along the way. So you can understand cuz obviously we want to rely on God's spirit to teach us as we read. That's first and foremost number 1. We got to rely on God's spirit. But Sometimes there are some practical tips we can use to help us better understand scripture when we read it. So I'm gonna give you some of that today. Is everyone good with that? Everyone good with that? All right. Well, today we're gonna be jumping forward in the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter seven. And that's where we're gonna be. But if one thing, one area of our lives that if we're truly gonna be transformed and be kingdom-minded people who live a kingdom culture lifestyle, the one area of our lives that probably needs transformed as much or more than any others is how we treat and respond to other people. Not just the people in our lives either, not just the our friends, our family, coworkers. No, I'm talking about everyone. Everyone we come in contact with. So we're going to do that today. Before we dive in, what I want to do is I want to pray because I want God to really begin to start working on our hearts and begin to ready us, for, ready, ready us for what he has for us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we ask, for you to just begin to open our hearts, to soften our hearts for what you have today. What you have given me for today, for this body, it's gonna be challenging. But I ask that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Give me clarity as I deliver the words you've given me today. Jesus, we love you and it's your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six. Judge not that you not be judged. I could stop there and spend a lot of time there. But what I want to do is I want to take a look at Jesus' message here on judging others. And I want to look at it in full, kind of break down this entire passage, because when we really get the idea in the context of what Jesus is saying, we'll better understand it. So let's keep going. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will clearly see to take the log out of your own eye, out of your brother's eye. I'm sorry. See clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, at first glance, that verse, verse 6, that one's going to be a little tougher to understand. You're probably going, how in the world does that fit in with the idea of judging others? But I promise you, we'll get there, okay? Once we make sense of the first five verses, that verse right there is going to make a whole lot more sense, okay? So judge not that you not be judged. What is Jesus saying here? Well, these first five verses, they all tie together in a very specific way that we need to understand first and foremost, if we're going to understand what Jesus meant, in this passage. So the key to understanding it is found in one word that Jesus uses three times in this passage. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Or how can you say to your brother? Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The key word is brother. brother. Keyword word is brother. So this is one of those moments where I get to teach you a little bit, okay, give you a little bit of insight. Because see, in order to fully understand What is being said in any teaching or passage is to find out who the target audience is and the subjects of what's being taught. In other words, we need to understand context. We have to understand the context of what the author or the teacher is saying. So we need to address number one, who is he instructing? And number two, who is he talking about? The context. So Jesus here is talking to a very specific group of people about a very specific group of people. And in using the word brother, What Jesus is communicating is this deals with how we as believers should treat and respond to other believers. That is key. We need to understand that first and foremost. We need to understand that context. If we're really going to get a picture of what Jesus is saying in this passage. So now when we hear that word judge, what do we think about? Maybe the judge sitting in the courtroom. And what do they do? They hold somebody accountable for their actions, right? So let me ask you this. Is Jesus telling us we shouldn't hold our brother and sisters in Christ accountable for their actions? No, that would fly in the face of other scripture. In fact, scripture tells us we are to hold each other accountable and confess our sins to one another. So if that's not what Jesus meant, what did he mean? When Jesus says, do not judge, he's saying, stop holding your brother to your standard of righteousness. Stop holding your brother to your standard. So this is the main point. You guys are getting my main point of my message up front, up front. And it's this: when we judge others, we are holding them to our standards of righteousness, rather than holding ourselves accountable to God's. We say that again: when we, when we judge, we are holding others to our standards, rather than holding ourselves to His. In reality, when it all comes down to it, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Go back to verse three. What does Jesus say? What's his question? He doesn't say how. Do you see it? Now he does address that later, but what's his first question? His first question is why? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? It's a hard issue. Why do we notice the speck in our brother's eye? Why do we notice it? So let me ask you this without hopefully anybody not getting mad at me. Have you ever noticed that we tend to judge others in areas that we are not as prone to stumble in? See, the one who doesn't drink or smoke will be the first one to look down on the person who drinks or smokes. The one who doesn't have any interest in tattoos will be the first one to look down on someone who has one or dares to get one. Whatever you can find wrong in someone else's life will likely be something that you don't struggle with. Or two, maybe even worse, it's something you don't have the strength to face yourself. A good term for this, a good term for this, I would call this selective outrage. Focusing on the offenses that won't convict us so that we might appear to have our act together. Focusing on the problems. We focus on the problems that we feel we don't have. So we have, we have it all together and we have no issues. Well, congratulations. In doing so, you are doing exactly what the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. And Jesus calls it like it is in verse five. What's he say? He calls it hypocrisy. You hypocrite. So in other words, here's the deal. If we were truly interested in the cause of living in righteousness as we seem to be when we judge others, if we were truly interested in that cause, we would focus on all sin. All sin, not just everybody else is not the ones we judge, but all sin, but more specifically our own. In other words, worry About yourself, right? Worry about yourself. So Jesus is teaching us here in these first five verses that as we do life with our Christian family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stop focusing on their shortcomings and their sins and focus on the areas of our life where we fall short, where we fall short of meeting his standards of righteousness. But I think also more importantly than that, we need to be reminded that our righteousness and their righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from Christ. It comes from Christ. And because of our faith in Christ, when the Father looks down on us, he sees Christ's perfection in us. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded of that, that our righteousness comes from Christ. And nothing, catch this, nothing can improve upon that perfection. Nothing you do. In essence, we are all in the same place. We're all in the same playing field. No believer, this is is one of those things I think somebody in here needs to hear. No believer is more acceptable, acceptable to God than another. No believer is more acceptable to God than another. Your faults don't disqualify you. Their faults don't disqualify them. You'll struggle, they'll struggle. But together, together we can face those struggles and make progress by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the counsel of God's word. Just like Chad talked about this morning. Right, We need to be digging into God's word and seeking the Holy Spirit in our lives because through that and together, we can face our struggles. Everyone okay so far? (laughs) Everyone okay? All right. So that's the first five verses. That's dealing with the, the believers in our lives. Verse six. What about the unbeliever? So you may be wondering, what does giving what's holy to dogs and throwing pearls before pigs have to do with how we deal with unbelievers, but we'll make sense of it. You guys ready? This is another teaching moment. You guys ready for another teaching moment? All right. So when trying to interpret difficult scripture like this one, because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense on the surface, right? When trying to make sense of difficult scripture, there's one rule that I always follow. One rule I always follow when I see a verse like this. Rule, this is the golden rule of interpretation. This is how I've heard it said. This is the golden rule. When the plain sense of the text makes common sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. Now, does this verse make sense? Not really. <laughs> I'll be honest. When I read, I'm going, that doesn't really make sense. So in pearls before pigs, who would do that? Right? But when it doesn't, then you have to go find the meaning of what that verse says. But here's the kicker. This is something where we sometimes struggle, and I think we don't all get this, is if you come across a verse like this, you don't understand the meaning the meaning of that verse will be found somewhere else in scripture. So when we get, let's break this down. Okay. There's two things we need to understand what do the dogs and pigs represent and then what is holy and the pearls represent. So let's start with dogs and pigs. And so for the sake of time, I'm not going to go too much into depth, but I do want to give you some understanding of how I break this down so you can get a better understanding. So when you go to read scripture later, it'll help you when you go to break some stuff down. So dogs and pigs, they represent unbelievers so pigs, according to the law, were what? Unclean. In Leviticus 11:7, Moses says, and the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. So pigs, they're considered unclean. And then John, the disciple John, in his letter in Revelation, he uses dogs as a symbol for those outside of heaven, outside of the kingdom. He says in Revelation 22:15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. So knowing that the pigs and the dogs represent unbelievers, what does it mean to give what is holy and throw pearls? Well, I'm going to make this short and quick. What is holy? It's Jesus. What's John called Jesus in his letter? The word. Catch that. We are not to use the word to cast judgment on the unbeliever. We are not to pass judgment on the unbeliever and use God's word, God's law, to cast that judgment. Yet, how many of us hold the unbelieving world to our standards? We hold them to our standards and use God's word as the basis to do so. So why doesn't Jesus want us to use the Bible to hold the unbeliever accountable? Well, Paul actually gives us that answer in Romans chapter two, verses one through four. Hold on. It's about to get interesting. Verse one says, you may think you can condemn such people. Well, the question is, okay, then who are the such people? You have to go back to chapter one to get the context. Chapter one, verse 30 says, they are backstabbers, haters of good, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worst yet, They encourage others to do them too. Sounds like society today, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the world we live in. So Paul continues in chapter two, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Catch this. Paul says, you have no excuse. You know what God's word says and what his commandments are? They don't. They don't have faith in Christ. Why should they obey his commands? But we are called to, and yet we're doing the exact same things they are. How can we consider ourselves righteous to judge them? Worry about yourself. Stop worrying about what the world is doing wrong and worry about what you're doing wrong. Start focusing on where you need to be transformed and live a kingdom lifestyle. He continues in verse two, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do these same things? It's just like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Why are you focused on the speck in their eye when you have a log in your own? Worry about yourself. Church, we have got to start focusing on ourselves and where our hearts are and where our focuses are. And stop condemning the world around us because they messed up. But it's not all throat punches from Paul, right? If you guys were here a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Mark said he said Jesus' teachings were a punch and a hug, Paul's gonna give us a punch and a hug. He just gave us the punch. It was a knockout punch, but if you were stood up long enough to get the hug, here it is. He says in verse four of Romans two, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, not his wrath, not his judgment, not his anger, his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Notice what Paul is saying here. Even though we don't get it right, and we want to judge others according to our standards rather than holding ourselves to his, that is in God's goodness and his mercy that turns us from our sin. And in particular, that sin of judging others. And what's fascinating about this passage here in Romans and in Matthew chapter seven is that we are being taught what kingdom culture truly looks like and how we to live that out when it comes to judging others. And worrying about ourselves and not worried about others. What's truly awesome about Scripture, this is what I love. Jesus not only taught it, Jesus lived it. Jesus lived it. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, right? And they tried to trap Jesus and using the law by saying they should stone her. Catch what they did? They used the law to try to judge an unbeliever, just like Jesus warned about in Matthew 7. And I think most of us know the story, right? Jesus says, all right, fine, stone her. But he was without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, starting with the oldest, they left. They left. See, the one who had the right to judge, didn't. The one who had the right to cast the stone, didn't. And so this is kind of where the world offers judgment. Christ offers redemption. Where the world offers judgment, Christ offers redemption. See, we're good at wanting to judge others and hold them accountable to our standards. But Jesus tells us to worry about our condition. And we've all sinned and fall short of his glory. And so as I wrap up, i want to give you some insight as to what this looks like, at least for me. And it's, maybe I'm the only one here, but when I'm driving, does anybody else have an issue with other drivers on the road? Or am I the only one? I know Chad doesn't. But when we get angry and frustrated with other drivers on the road, what are we doing? We're holding them to our standard of what we think a good driver should look like, right? We're holding them to our standard. And it doesn't matter the context, it doesn't have to be on the road. It could be an issue with, it could be something at work with a coworker, or with your spouse at home, or even with your pastor. I mean, it could be any issue that you have. But what are you doing? You're still holding them to your standard rather than holding yourself. To God's standard. So if I'm going down the road and somebody cuts me off, rather than holding them to my standard and getting angry, I should hold myself to God's standard because that's what He commands us to do. But what is God's standard? I guess that's the ultimate question, right? If we are to hold ourselves accountable to God's standards, what is God's standard? Well, God's standard is simple. When asked what the greatest commandment was, what was Jesus' response? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, God's standard that you should hold yourself to is love. It's love. What is love? I know somebody's singing a Hathaway song right now. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I love that at the end. It endures through every circumstance. It doesn't judge, it endures. And did you catch that at the beginning? What's it say? It does not demand its own way. It's not about our standards. It's not about our standards. It's about his. Are we holding ourselves accountable to his standards? In other words, worry about yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today, we are so thankful for your word and the conviction that it can bring us when we realize we are falling short of what you've asked us to do. But God, that conviction means nothing if we don't do anything with it. So God, my prayer today is that each one of us in here, if, if you've convicted us and where we are falling short and where we judge others, that you've begun to do that work in our hearts. And that we would be transformed as we leave here today and begin to live out a kingdom culture, lifestyle of love and not of judgment. And it's your name we pray. Amen. You know, I can't help but wonder if there's maybe somebody watching online or in this room or maybe watching later online who has maybe avoided church or not been willing to walk into a building because they've been judged by one of us as a, as a believer who call ourselves Christian. I know I've met a lot of people who've been hurt by the church and it's because we are not being the accurate reflection of Christ and showing love to others. We spend more time being judgmental and pointing out their sin and where they fall short rather than just showing love, which we've been called to do. So what I want to do is I want to offer an opportunity for anybody who's watching online or anybody in the room today. If you've been there or maybe you're just saying, I've never accepted Christ. And maybe it's because you've been judged in the past God offers love, mercy, grace, and He has it for you. And He wants you to experience that love, like you've never experienced before. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give, or visit destinychurch.me/give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.